Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited to share a special Father's Day episode of our podcast with you. Today, you're going to hear from Coach Randy Allen. If you're in Texas, you know the name of Coach Allen. He's currently the head football coach of Highland Park High School in the Dallas area. He's the winningest high school coach in Texas. He's married to Carolyn. They have two kids, eight grandkids, but most of all, just an incredible Incredible man of faith, incredible man of character, and you're going to hear in this episode just a lot about football, but even more about being a husband, being a dad, being a follower of Christ, and pouring into others, but just true humility with a servant's heart. So I cannot think of a better person for you to hear from on Father's Day. So without further delay, let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach Allen. Thank you. It's great to be here. You bet. I always like to start off with some background information, so if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe a little bit about growing up, your family growing up, and your family today. I was uh, <clears throat> born in Abilene, Texas, and uh, my dad made sure that I had a ball in my hand from the time I was small, and, <laughs> and uh, my mother was a cheerleader in high school, so she was. Uh, they were at every game, and they were very supportive of all I did in athletics. My dad was my little league coach in summer league, and I can't remember a game that I played that they weren't there, mm-hmm. at least one of them. And uh, I decided I wanted to coach when I was 12, and I think a lot of that came from uh, just my dad's respect for the high school coach in Abilene, Texas, who. When I was growing up, it was Chuck Mosier at Abilene High School, and he had won three or four state championships. And those athletes at Abilene High were great role models for me to look up to. My dad said they played three sports, football, baseball, and track, and they worked out in the summer and ran in 100-degree temperature, ran stadium steps, and they were in the National Honor Society and the choir. Coach Mosier taught Sunday school in a church there in Abilene. So... When I was growing up, the coach was uh, highly respected, and I got into high school at Abilene Cooper, which was a new school. Abilene High was the older school, and, and Cooper was new, and we hadn't won a whole lot at Abilene Cooper. Uh, it had only been a high school for three years when we were seniors, uh, and we had a great class of football players, and uh, we were... Uh, a 13 and 0 going in the state championship game our senior year ranked number one in the state and we got beat by austin reagan 20 to 19 on the last play of the game we ran a quarterback sneak from the one yard line and the officials said we didn't score and uh that was uh we thought we did score mm-hmm. and uh, there was a lot of controversy at the end of the game but uh the bottom line is i had a desire to come back to abilene cooper as a head coach and and win the state championship. So that was one of my motivations in coaching. I went to SMU on a football scholarship. Uh, Hayden Fry offered me a football scholarship and coming to SMU was really pivotal in my life because I met some neat people. Not only Coach Fry, but Jerry Moore is my position coach. And then uh, Joe White was one of my teammates and Joe Mm -hmm. ran a camp up in Branson, Missouri called Canicook Camp. And he asked me to be a counselor up there one summer and uh, SMU is a tough school to go to if you're a Christian. Uh, got a lot of persecution in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so the summers at Canacook, because it was a Christian-based sports camp, uh, were just so refreshing and replenishing to me as a, 
as a Christian. And uh, it was there that I met my wife. She was a counselor on the girl's side. And I, uh, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself on the story. I graduated from SMU, and I didn't know how to get a coaching job. So I called my former head coach at Abilene Cooper, Merrill Green. And uh, since I had graduated from Cooper, he had gone to Bryan High School as a head mm. coach. And I said, Coach, how do I, I get a job? And he said, well, I got a couple people you can call. He said, the only job I've got is a middle school job here in, in mm. Bryan. And there's a guy here I'd love for you to work for named Carl Davis. But here's some other names, some high school jobs that are open. And, of course, I didn't get to first base with anybody else because they didn't know me and I didn't have any experience. He called me back in about a week or so, and he said, have you found a job? And I said, no, sir. And he said, well, our head baseball coach, assistant varsity football coach, just came in and resigned. I'd like for you to come down here and interview. And so he got me off to a great start in coaching. And uh, it was there, again, that my wife was going to Texas A&M, or my future wife was going to Texas A&M. We got married, had both our children, Zach and Ashley, uh, were born there in St. Joseph's Hospital. and then. I wanted to be a head coach when I was 30, so when I was 29, I went into Coach Green's office and I said, Coach, I want to be a head coach. Can you help me? And uh, I, There's a job open in Ballinger, Texas. Would you mind making a phone call to the superintendent to give me a recommendation? He said, no, I'd be glad to. And superintendent known, had known Merrill as a coach, and so Merrill called Doug Cox, the superintendent, got me an interview. and. Uh, I interviewed and got the job, and that started our head coaching career. And I went five years at Ballinger, five years at Brownwood, and followed Gordon Wood at Brownwood High School, which was, I was naive enough and young enough to think that that was a, a good job. <laughs> and uh, it wound up being a really hard job because of the expectations mm -hmm. Coach Wood had created. But I learned some things. each head coaching experience I had that helped me with the next job and then I got the job I wanted Abilene Cooper and in 96 we went to the state finals and we had a great team had a great running back named Dominique Rhodes but we played a great team and Austin Westlake Drew Brees mm -hmm. was a quarterback and uh, we got beat that day and uh, so I didn't reach my dream there my goal of winning a state championship at Abilene Cooper but I did get to coach my son and we went to quarterfinals his senior year. And uh, so then Highland Park. And uh, I didn't know anything about Highland Park. It wasn't on my goal sheet. It wasn't something that I knew anything about. But I got a phone call and, uh, to come interview, and I talked to Scott Smith. And uh, he told me what a great tradition they had here at Highland Park High School. And so my wife and I packed up and came to Dallas. And uh, that was 20 years ago. And now we have our two children live here. We have eight grandkids that have gone to school, are, are going to school at Highland Park schools. Uh, our oldest one played on the 2017 state championship team. He's a running back, Connor Allen. Uh, he's now going to Texas A&M. So uh, my daughter, you can kick an extra point out of over Douglas Avenue and it goes in her backyard. <laughs> So it's been a great place for our family, and now we've got our children and grandchildren in this community. That's awesome. You know, I mean, you've experienced some unparalleled success in 20 years in Highland Park. So talk about um, maybe even the pressures of being 
a head coach, especially in a state like Texas, and also in a place like Highland Park where the tradition is so rich? Well, I think Highland Park, they won before I came, and, and uh, so coming into this job, I knew Frank Beavers had been a legendary coach here, and knew Doak Walker and Bobby Lane had played here, and uh, I didn't know that at the time, the year I came, they were the third winningest program in the history of Texas high school football. I think Amarillo and Permian were ahead of them. And uh, now we're the winningest program in the history of Texas high school football. But uh, anytime you go into a winning program, there are going to be expectations. And I'd rather have those kind of expectations uh, than I had a lot of times trying to build expectations. Mm. There, I'll say this, there are, more, there are actually more, sometimes more rewards in taking a losing team and making it a winner. But it, this has been the, the most rewarding experience, and that is taking a great tradition program and adding four state mm -hmm. championships to the two they'd won before I got here. And uh, being able to uh, create some new traditions and this is a very traditional program. And, mm -hmm. and the one thing I noticed when I got here is how much ownership our players took in the program. And a good example I give is at Abilene Cooper, we had a blow-up cougar head and we had a smoke machine and we would run through the cougar head to the fight song and have the smoke going. And so I thought, Hollow Park doesn't have that. I, I, that would be a good new touch you know so i mentioned it to the captain how would y'all like to have a blow-up scotsman and we'll do the smoke machine and we'll enter the stadium that way and they said coach we don't do that here mm. i said oh you don't do that here what do you do here they said well the, they hold a little paper run through and our bells our drill team make a victory line and they play the fight song and we run through it and i said okay if that's what you do here that's what we'll do so i didn't change anything except the offense when I got here, I just stuck with what they'd been doing because I realized that as long as they believed in what they were doing, there was no reason to change anything. And uh, that's, that's been a big part of our program, and that is for seniors to leave the program better than you found it. Mm, that's good. I've had the privilege to, just in the last few months, uh, interview three of your assistant coaches and one former assistant, Coach Bird. Coach Weber, Coach Leiter, and then recently I talked to Coach Trotter. Um, and what the one thing they all talked about was the culture that you created as a leader here. Um, and, they, and they always say it's, it's one of high character and faith. So how do you sustain a culture like that when um, there's so many outside forces that want to tear down high character and faith? And then kind of secondary to that, has there been any resistance from internally or even the community to that? I think the best way to keep that culture going is you got to model it. You know, mm. if your coaches don't model it, it, it doesn't work. So you model that in a couple of ways. One is with your mouth, and you got to be very positive with your players, and you got to say positive things. But when you get a chance to talk about your faith, you can't be ashamed of it. I mean, it is your faith. That's right. And, and so our guys are pretty open with what they believe and they don't you know we don't make it a controversial thing in the locker room it's just something it's who we are mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we do voluntary bible studies we do voluntary chapels 
we have an FCA that is voluntary that you, they can go to, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Mm -hmm. And so we create opportunities for those guys who want to exercise their faith to go to certain uh, things. But our play, our coaches uh, make no apology. They'll pray with our players. Now, I, we, I had to withdraw myself from praying with the team because of a lawyer brought in by our school district that mm -hmm. talked about what we could and couldn't do. I, w I led a Bible study with some players, and, and they said it would be better if you didn't do that. Uh, and it would be better if you didn't pray with your players on the field. So I have a captain that volunteers to do that. And then for the Bible study, I had a few senior leaders that volunteered mm -hmm. to lead the Bible study. So there, there are ways to, to do your faith on campus uh, in a way that's voluntary, in a way that, that grows your team and grows them spiritually. And uh, uh, as far as resistance, when I first got here, you have to remember, Abilene is a town with three church schools, Abilene Christian, Hardin-Simmons University, and McMurray's and Methodist School. So I had very little resistance in Abilene, and we were very vocal about our faith. And then here I had a first year I was here, I had a football camp, and, and we were going to sing some songs. And these were camp songs I'd sung at Camp Cook, and they were Christian songs. And uh, a man went to our superintendent and complained, and so he brought me in. He said, uh, you can't do that here. And I thought... Okay, well, that's we just won't sing songs here, and uh, but you know, every once in a while, uh, they'll, they'll, there hadn't been anything recently. But we, we, I've had two separate times in my 20 years that we've had to meet with a lawyer to go over separation of church and state issues and what you can do and can't do as a coach with your players. And so, what I've tried to do as a head coach is find ways that you can use your faith and you can show your faith without being controversial, without getting our school district in trouble. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I, you know, I got into coaching because I was impacted by Christian coaches and I thought if I could combine Christian, my Christian faith with the competitive athletics, that would be the perfect vocation for me. So if you took my faith out of my job, you would take half of the reason mm. why I got into coaching. And, and I just, because uh, I've always looked at coaching as a calling. And Pat Dye, the former head coach at Auburn, said that a coach is called to coach like a preacher is called to preach. And so uh, that's, that's one thing and, uh, that, that I really believe is true. Yeah, I mean... I mean, just the thought that popped up as you're talking about that. I mean, yeah, the coaches are leading that way, but also you're, because the students are now leading the prayer of their Bible study, you're actually discipling these students yeah. to actually be leaders and prepare them to enter college and, and, and adulthood. That's, 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 that's awesome. So Howard Parks had a lot of um, athletes, phenomenal athletes come through here. Um, so is there, you know, I, I know this will be, probably difficult, but is there one or two that you, just from an athletic standpoint, that just really stand out to you? <laughs> well, if you've had a number one draft pick in the NFL draft, you know you've had a special player. And of course, that's Matthew Stafford. Uh, we've had a lot of really good offensive linemen have gone on and played at other schools, but you know, the quarterbacks stand out to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, we've had, uh, 
Alexander Webb go to Northwestern. One of my first couple of years here, we had Bill Foran go to Purdue and Princeton and play. Uh, we had uh, Luke Woodley go to Louisville. And then most recently, we had John Stephen Jones playing at Arkansas currently. And then this year, we have Chandler Morris, who will have an opportunity to play Division I football. Uh, we've had some uh, very good players, but those are the guys, uh, you know, that probably get the most publicity and pro probably the well-known, the best-known players. What about um, a story or an athlete or two that you've seen God use you in their life personally? Well, this past year, and I, Stephen Bird might have shared this with you, we had a young man that uh, threw a punch during a playoff mm -hmm. game and uh, got thrown out of the game and had to spend the, a half in the dressing room of the second half. We came back, and, and uh, we have our chance and everything in the meeting room here, and he was distraught and said he wanted to talk to Coach Bird after the, the meeting or the, the chance. And when he got a chance to talk to Coach Bird, he said, Coach, my life's in chaos. My, you know, I've got family issues, and, and, and I just know that I don't like the way my life's going. I need God. Hmm. And Coach Bird said, well, have you ever, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or do you even know what that is? And he said, no, but, but I'd like to. And Coach Bird said, well, would you, would you like to pray with me now? And so Coach Bird prayed the prayer of salvation with him in this room that we're in right here. Wow. And then another coach, Davis, uh, was, I think there were two coaches with Coach Bird. And Coach Davis goes to a local church and he said, listen, I'll come by and pick you up and take you to church the next couple of weeks so you can get in a community of believers. Wow. And so the coach picked him up and started taking him to church for a couple of weeks. And then, uh, you know, it's a different opportunity when I'm in a room with a young man that I know has prayed to receive Christ as Savior. I know he's going through struggles because that opens up the door for me to be pretty open about mm -hmm. how you doing, what's going on in your life, can I pray for you, etc. cetera. Uh, but that's, a, that's the most recent story. I mean, the other stories that I could tell are about young men that I've taken to Fellowship of Christian Athlete Conferences and one particular athlete, I don't mind saying his name is Terry Stramler at Ballinger High School. And I took him to an FCA conference at Texas A&M. And I was, I was going to the chapel services with him or the, the meetings at night. And they gave the, a prayer of salvation at the meeting. And they went back to their dorms and they were in their huddles with their uh, huddle leader. And uh, I, they bowed their heads, and I could tell. I was standing outside the dorm room, but the, ro the door was open to the dorm room. And I heard Terry Strammer pray the prayer of salvation with mm. his uh, huddle leader. So when he raised his head, our eyes met, and I said, I motioned for him to come out in the hallway, and we hugged each other, told him I loved him, told him how much it meant that he'd made that decision, how important it was to him. And... Uh, we kept a, a relationship. He went, he went into coaching mm. uh, in the Crowley School District, and he's having the same type of impact on young men that hopefully I, I had on him or that our coaches had on him. And I was in his wedding. I, his, he brought his son to our camp, and I got to see the whole process. There's another story, a great story. I tell this one because this really illustrates discipleship. 
When I first started coaching at Bryan High School, I helped Bill Moore run the FCA huddle on campus. Bill would run a concession stand at the Viking Relays, Bryan mm -hmm. High School Viking Relays, to raise money to send uh, students to FCA conference in the summer. We had a guy back out on us, a, a guy signed up to go to conference, a student athlete, and he decided he couldn't go. So we were looking for somebody to take his place. And a young athlete named Randy Sims said, I'll go. So Randy goes up to Estes Park, this FCA conference, and he get, God changes him while he's up there. I mean, he prayed to receive Christ, and he started studying his Bible. Uh, and, you know, he really went through a change. And when he came back, he was a different guy. He was the guy that was on fire for Christ and just wanted to witness up to everyone about the great things that he had experienced. He graduated from uh, Bryan High, went on to Austin College, worked for, he was on staff for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for a number of years. He, has his own, he had his own ministry called Worldview Academy where he would prepare seniors going into college mm -hmm. for their Christian worldview so when they got into college they wouldn't be, uh, their faith wouldn't be destroyed. And now he's a full-time pastor in Midland, but here's my point. Bill Moore might have thought he was raising money at a concession stand at a Viking Relays to send kids to conference. But just one kid, Randy Sims, probably had impact over thousands, mm. hundreds of thousands of people that Bill Moore would never meet, never see, never talk to. Wow. But if it hadn't been for that coach's sacrifice to run that concession stand, to get those kids on a bus and send them to conference, uh, there would be hundreds of thousands of people that might not have heard the gospel. Wow. All over a simple concession stand. Yeah, and I, I go back to this. I was told, and I don't know how they did this statistic, that a coach in a normal lifetime will impact 20,000 young people. And, and so what I'm really proud of are the number of former players who have gone into coaching because those are the guys that multiply my impact mm. or the impact of a coach because hopefully they'll take the faith and character aspect of uh, what we're trying to coach and they'll use it with their players. I just talked to one of my former players this morning who's in the Marines and uh, he just got back from Afghanistan. He said, Coach, I can't tell you how many times I repeat things that you said to us when I was playing mm. here. And he's in his mid-30s and it's, he said, when, when we were here, we didn't think of it as being that important, but now that we're down the road a ways, we realize how important some of those things are. Wow. That's, that's quite the, that, that's a good story, um, especially one on the, the concession stand of, like you said, discipleship and multiplication. How just a simple act of service and obedience can impact thousands. What would you say has been your greatest memory or accomplishment in your career? It's, uh, I think it's my family, it's my relationship with my wife and my family. I mean, I think people right off the bat would say, well, it's winning three state championships in a row or it's this or that having to do with your career. But I go back, and I hope people listening to this will remember this game, with Minnesota was in the playoffs two years ago, and Case Keenum was the quarterback. Mm. He threw that touchdown pass towards the end of the game that was miraculous that put Minnesota in the next round of the NFL playoffs. When Case Keenum was uh, – I hired his daddy at Ballinger to be one of our assistant coaches, and we were there in the hospital, or my wife was, when Case was born. But Case Keenum is on the biggest stage you can be on in t on TV, and they said, 
Was that the biggest moment in your life, throwing that touchdown pass and getting Minnesota the next round of the playoffs? He said, no. He said, the biggest thing, the most important thing was my, when I prayed to receive Christ as Savior, and the second thing is marrying my wife. And so I think, you know, it's, it's important that you keep things in perspective and you make the most important things the most important things. And being a great husband to my wife and then being a great father to my children and now my grandkids, those have to be the big, the, the accomplishments I'm most proud of. To see that, that, that they're on their own and they have their own faith and now they're building that faith into their kids. That's a good reminder. I mean, just for me as well, just to always keep the relationship with my wife and kids the second to my relationship with Christ, but keep that a priority and don't lose focus. You've talked a lot about FCA. Um, you've been a recipient of the Grant Taft FCA Lifetime Achievement Award. I mean, Tony Dungy, Bobby Bowden also won that award. So talk about winning an award um, that means that much, but also joining um, some other incredible recipients. I mean, other guys are college, yeah. successful NFL coaches. Well, uh, Coach Taff and I have been in conferences mm -hmm. together, and I mean, it's a tremendous honor, number one. I, mm -hmm. I know what kind of character those men have that, that won the award before me. And uh, I just hope that I'm... Uh, I just hope that I understand and get across to coaches how important they, what their job is. Mm. And I like Coach Grant's, I don't have the quote with me, but I have it in my book. But Coach Taft says, you know, I hope coaches will understand how important their positions are as coaches and the impact they have on young people. And he said, the, the, I, the word coach means more to me than my given name, Grant, because when you call me coach, that's a, that's a, that gives, that's a, a, a name of respect. Mm. And he just talked about the impact that coaches can have on, on their players and that coaches not take that for granted, but take advantage of that opportunity. And so, you know, hopefully I'm able to be a, an example like Coach Taft was or Coach Dungy. The story I love about Coach Dungy is that do you mind if I tell this story? Sure, go ahead. Well, uh, he was setting up the chairs when he was at Tampa Bay, and he uh -huh. was a head football coach. He was setting up chairs for the chapel that Sunday morning before the game. And one of his assistant coaches says, you got more things to do as a head coach than just set up chairs for a chapel. Coach Dungy said, no, I set up the chairs because I know where each man sits and I know each man's needs. And as I set that chair up, I pray for that, wow. each of the players that sit in those chairs. And uh, I just remembered that being an important thing. And I used to have a prayer book that I kept. And I had a picture cut out of the program of each player. And I would put that in a prayer book. And I'd have prayers asked and then answered underneath it. And what a, it was a great confidence. It gave me great confidence and faith in God because I could see how God was answering prayers in the lives of our players. Wow, that's, that's incredible. And I know I can think, I mean, as a dad, and my, my son um, plays football, and, you know, just thinking about it, knowing that coaches pray for your kids is pretty powerful as a parent, too. That's good. So we've talked a lot about accomplishments, but what would you say 
um, I don't want to use the word disappointment, greatest challenge so far in your career? Well, you can talk, talk about disappointment if you want to. There are a lot of disappointments, but uh, I think it's hard. Losing's hard on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, first year I was at Ballinger, we were 2-8. and eight, and I thought I'd made the worst hmm. decision of my career, leaving Brian High and being a head coach. And my wife calls it a blue funk. You know, it, it was just uh, – I guess I was probably questioning, God, why would you bring me out here and – we, you know, our team not be successful. Uh, but on the other hand, there were great lessons that I learned through that season. And I, I love those kids as much as I loved any team. I just, they just didn't, I hadn't been there long enough to create the kind of attitude I thought it took to win. But we set the stage for the next year and we worked really hard. So I think going through losing seasons and ex- and keeping your perspective and your confidence in what you're doing in your program and, you know, your philosophy of what you really believe is important in coaching. Uh, you know, it's always been faith, family, football. And uh, football is what I do, but it's not who I am. Mm. Because I had a tendency to think if I failed on the football field, I was a failure personally. And I think. Uh, we just got to get away as coaches and, and get perspective that uh, losing is not a reflection on the type of character, the kind of man we are, uh, or our players. I mean, you compete as hard as you can, and you give it the best you can, and, and there are going to be sometimes that you, you know, you're going to lose, sometimes you're going to win. But the pursuit and the journey is what it's all about and what the kids learn on the process of that journey. That's easy for me to say right now, Stuart, but it's not easy to do. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because everybody's competitive, right? Yeah. And, and you're judged by wins and losses. Yeah. You mentioned your greatest accomplishment being your family, uh, particularly your relationship with your wife, your kids and grandkids. So um, coaching demands a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance that, the demands of your career as a long-time head football coach, but also being a husband and a dad? Well, for my son, it was easy uh, because I was, he was at the field house mm-hmm. all the time. I was coaching him, so, you know, we were tied pretty close together. And, uh, but I had to really be intentional about my daughter, spending time with her and my wife. So we... Uh, at a marriage enrichment camp or something, I learned some real important things about how to be a better dad, how to be a better husband. One of the things is uh, date night, plan a date night. Mm-hmm. So we would look at our calendar. Uh, well, let me go back. We would take a getaway every six months. And when we took, my wife and I would take a getaway, we'd take our calendars and our diaries. Now, my wife keeps a very detailed diary. Mine's spotty at best. <laughs> but we would go over our schedules. I would go over my schedule. She would go over her schedule. We would put it on the calendar, and we would make, uh, we would put a spot on the weekly calendar for our date night. And uh, that would be a night that I'd come home early from practice or come home from practice. I would give her uh, uh, first priority as far as my attention I'd t- turn my cell phone off we'd go to a nice dinner and I would make her the focus of the night now the other thing I learned is that you give her the first 15 minutes you come in from from practice mm. or you come in the house 
and uh, the thought was is that uh, your wife's been thinking about you all day or thinking about things she wants to say to you. And even though you may be tired, you want to sit down, read the paper, turn on the TV, or you just want to eat and be quiet because you've been talking all day, you've been working hard. But you need to give her the first 15 minutes of the day. So as you drive home, you, you pick out a, uh, maybe an advertisement sign or something to remind you to give your wife the first 15 mm. minutes you walk in the door to let her tell you how her day went. Now, don't ask her, what did you do today? That's mm -hmm. a bad question. Yeah. But, honey, you know, tell me how your day went. And uh, then that gives her the freedom to, to open up and talk to you. And, uh, and that, that's been very important. The other thing is uh, marriage conferences. Now, I don't like going to marriage counselors, but my <laughs> wife would threaten me uh, about going to marriage counseling. And I would say, honey, I don't want to go to counselor. And she said, okay, then let's go to a marriage enrichment camp over the summer. So we've been to coaches outreach and marriage enrichment camps. We've been to FCA marriage enrichment camps. And, uh, you know, it's when you look each other in the eye and you tell each other you love her. And then there's three things that you have wanted to say to her, but you've been hesitant. And there's three things she's wanted to say to you, but she's been hesitant. So you get those things out in the open. And so, you you know, you come away feeling pretty good about your marriage and, and you've got opened up more intimacy and I, I tell this joke you know I, to show her how much I loved her I bought her a mood ring and when she's happy it turns green and when she's unhappy it leaves a red mark on my forehead <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's funny I mean I put a star by a couple of things you just said because we're actually recording this since today is my my wife's 22nd anniversary oh, happy anniversary <laughs> thank you but I was I like the idea I've never heard of the a getaway every six months and just taking the schedules and sitting yeah. down and planning that out because that's I mean, we have a family calendar um but you know it's usually planned um like a month out i like the idea of just getting away for six months and um being able to focus on that so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take that with me that, that's a really well good i got uh, you, i don't want you to cut me off because i haven't talked about okay. my daughter so oh, yeah, my daughter uh i had to be very intentional about going to her volleyball games or mm. basketball games or whatever and the she was a homecoming queen nominee, and we were playing San Angelo Central at Abilene Shotwell Stadium. And I decided that I was going to escort her out, out at halftime, even though whether we were ahead or behind. And uh, <laughs> usually I'm very focused during the game. I don't want anybody distracting me. And halftime's a big time to make adjustments. So I had my suit and tie in the dressing room, and this was the only game I've forgotten officials. So before the game, I forgot the officials. We have to get guys out of the stands with <laughs> they went to their pickups and got old red uh, grease rags and put them in her back pocket. So we're having a close game. I'm already distracted because of this official thing. And it's halftime. And I ran to the dressing room and got on my suit and tie and ran out and escorted my daughter in the homecoming court. And I, I did it to show her that she was very important and she was a priority. And even though it might cost us a ball game mm. or at least a – time of halftime adjustments that she was more important wow and uh, the other thing is is that uh i prayed for her husband i i got her a, a, a purity ring is that mm -hmm. what you call it there was a time when that was going on um, anyway i got her a purity ring and uh uh, I'd been praying for her husband, so my first or second day at Highland Park, I was uh, in the weight room, and some college guys were back from college. They were lifting weights, 
I went up to one of the guys and said, where do you guys go to school? And they said, we go to Baylor. And I said, uh, what's your name? And he said, Pete Flowers. And I said, is your daddy Paul Flowers? And he said, yes, sir. And I said, well, I played ball with a guy named Paul Flowers. Is that your daddy? And he played ball at SMU. And he said, yes, sir. I said, well, my daughter's in from Baylor. Her name's Ashley Allen. Do you know her? No, sir, I don't. I said, well, she doesn't know anybody in Highland Park. Would you mind if I set you all up and just introduce you because she doesn't know anybody? Yes, sir, that'd be fine. I said, well, can you meet me at Chili's tomorrow at lunch? And I'll I have Ashley there, and y'all can I'll introduce you. Anyway, make a long story longer. Uh, I introduced him. They wound up, he wound up coming in my office here in the stadium two years later, and he sat down and said, Coach, I want to ask you if I can marry your daughter. I said, he, I love her more than any anything except my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I said, Pete, you got my, you got my wow. approval. And uh, so that was, I thought I moved here for some, re you know, certain reasons, but it was really for my daughter to meet Pete and, and uh, have our four grandkids and live across the street. That's awesome. That, that's incredible. I've got a 12-year-old daughter, and I'm dreading the, <laughs> those days of the dating. I, you know, that's a good reminder, though. I need to start, you know, continually praying for, for that. Let me ask you this, kind of close it out with um, a lot of people have a life verse or favorite scripture. So I was going to ask you if you had a, a verse you'd share with us to, to encourage us as we close out. Uh, Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. And uh, that we used to call that the four square life at camp. And uh, so when I first started coaching, that was my philosophy. And uh, so we would talk about, you know, we want our guys to be, uh, intellectually, we wanted to be the smartest they can be in the classroom and apply themselves and be the best students. Spiritually, you know, we want to provide opportunities for them to grow. We want to encourage them to uh, go to church and, and pray and, and read their Bible. And then physically, we want the most physically fit group playing the most rugged brand of football in Texas. Uh, and then socially, we want them to look you in the eye, be able to shake your hand, mm. carry on a great conversation, and be some of the best businessmen or whatever their vocation uh, that they choose. So that, when, when it says in Scripture, I think that uh, Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man, it really covers the four facets of a uh, young man's life that we want to minister to. That's good. I like that. That's, that's very good. Well-rounded approach to it. That's good. Well, I know it's a busy time with the end of the school year, and uh, so I appreciate you taking a few minutes to sit down and share your story. Thank you very much. Sir. You bet. What an incredible episode to share with you. I've been so excited to release this one. Thank you to Coach Allen for taking time of your busy schedule to sit down and talk football, talk life, but most importantly, just to talk about the importance of being a follower of Christ and what that means and to live unashamed. As I sit here, as I often do, and just look over the notes, there's just so much um, wisdom that I got personally from Coach Allen. Um, but, you know, to you coaches, he reminded us that, you know, you're called to coach just like preachers are called to preach. And for that, I'm in incredibly grateful for all the coaches out there that follow that calling. But as I, as I look over the notes and, you know, we talked about, you know, one of his greatest accomplishments he talks about, it's, it's his family, it's the relationship with his wife, his kids, his grandkids. And that just struck me. You have the winningest coach in Texas high school football, and his greatest accomplishment 
It's not the state championships. It's not the number of wins. It's, it's his family. It's his relationship with his wife. It's his relationship with his kids and grandkids. And above that is his relationship with Christ. And he talked about just the culture um, of his staff. And you've heard that from previous, um, on previous episodes of, of guys on this staff. They talked about, you know, just unashamed of faith. Students leading Bible studies, students leading prayer. But one of the things that really stuck out to me um, is you have the head football coach, of one, the winningest coach in Texas, and he talked about having a prayer book for his players where he wrote down each player's names. He prays for, prayed for his players by name. Just an, just an incredible example. You know, what if I did that for, for people in my life? Uh, you know, about his relationship with his wife, being intentional, getting away every six months just to go over the family calendar, making that date night a priority. I know I, I said it um, when, when we were talking on the episode, he and I talked after we recorded it. Um, that really spoke to me because I know um, I'm not good at that. So that's just something that really convicted me of just being more intentional with my time with my wife um, and my kids and getting that date night. You know, one of the favorite things I wrote down is he said, football is what I do, but it's not who I am. Often, no matter what career path you're in, um, no matter where, what stage of life you're in, we often think our identity is in what we do, but it's not. Our identity is found in Christ and who Christ designed you and me to be. It's not what you do because when your identity is in what you do, whether it is football or or another sport or in the business world or whatever you are doing today, if that's what you find your identity in, you're going to fail. You're going to be miserable. You're not going to be happy. It's not who you are. Who you are is a child of God. Who you are is, is someone uniquely designed by God. And I love this scripture. I'm going to close out with this. Luke 2.52, he shared, um, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And how that is the pillar, the four squares of his football program. You know, developing these young men intellectually, spiritually, physically, and socially not just to be the best football players, just develop them into well-rounded men and, and hopefully followers of Christ. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Um, I know it's a long wrap-up on this conclusion, but there's just so much that I took out of it, so much that I have poured over since I've recorded it and um, just really convicted me. So I, I know you've been encouraged. And I also know there's somebody in your life that needs to be encouraged by this episode. So please forward this episode to them. Encourage them to listen to it. If you're not a subscriber, hit the subscribe button, whatever podcast platform you you listen to these podcasts on. Hit subscribe. Go back and listen to previous episodes and also just get the automatic downloads of all the future ones that are to come. We love to hear from you. Interact with us. Social media on Facebook, All In Sports Outreach. Our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. A lot happening, not just with the podcast. You can find out who we are, what, what we do, why we do what we do. Opportunities to pray for us, serve with us, and to give. The last thing I'm going to ask you, 
If this episode encouraged you, go to iTunes, leave us that five-star review. The more reviews we get, the greater the platform to continue sharing these stories of faith and shining the light of Jesus through media. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your continued support, encouragement, and prayers. We appreciate each one of you.